What's this year's holiday shopping season going to look like? Available warehouse space continues to tighten. And a logistics firm makes a move into venture capital. Pull up a chair and join us as the editors of DC Velocity discuss these stories as well as news and supply chain trends on this week's Logistics Matters podcast. Hi, I'm Dave Maloney. I'm the editorial director at DC Velocity. Welcome. Logistics Matters is sponsored by DCV TV. Five channels of streaming video are yours for the viewing on DCV TV. Major improvements have recently been made to the DCV TV platform to enhance the viewing experience, provide greater search capabilities, and to expand the capacity of the video library well beyond the 3,000 plus videos already in the archive. Be sure to check it all out at dcvtv.com. As usual, our DC Velocity senior editors, Ben Ames and Victoria Kickham, will be along to provide their insight into the top stories of this week. But to begin, we all know that the holiday shopping season is going to be different, but just how different this year? What can retailers expect and what implications do hyper e-commerce holidays have on our supply chains? To answer that question, I spoke earlier this week to Stephen Horwitz, an economics professor and director of the Institute for the Supply of Political Economy at Ball State University. He is the author of four books, including most recently Austrian Economics and Introduction. And he has written on topics such as monetary theory and history and American economic history. Here's our conversation recorded earlier this week. Welcome, Steve. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure. I mentioned a moment ago in my introduction that you write about American economic history. You should have plenty to write about after this year with the roller coaster of economic emotions we've been on. How would you characterize this year? Uh, well, everyone wants to, you know, unprecedented times and all that. I'm not sure they're totally unprecedented, but certainly uh, roller coasters, uh, probably a, a more apt metaphor. We have we were in, in I think, very good shape uh, before the pandemic. Uh, the, the combination of the pandemic itself and then some of the policies that were adopted as part of it, which may or may not have been effective, have certainly uh, had their have taken their toll economically. And interestingly, I think it's accelerated some trends that we were already seeing. Uh, taking place uh, in in the economy, for example, the move to e-commerce and 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 so on, uh, which was happening anyway, been accelerated by that. Uh, but also, I think uh, the implications now for the holiday season will be interesting too, as people really want to get back together with family and friends, but are going to have to think about how how that's going to work and and what their you know what spending is going to be like and and what their uh, how how they're going to navigate uh, all of this in a world in which. Uh, you know, still uh, no no one's, nothing's back to normal in any sense of the term. Right. That's for certain. And uh, I know we anticipate that Black Friday is going to probably look a little different this year as well. What do, what do you anticipate there? Yeah. I think we're already seeing it look different. I think a number of places have already basically said they're going to start their holiday sales season now uh, and have a, sort of extend that uh, early, back into time earlier. Certainly, uh, the last thing anyone wants is for Black Friday to turn into the Black Plague by having uh, all kinds of problems uh, with, with folks shopping in person. So certainly, between the, the restrictions on capacity and people's just general concern about, about going out and being in crowds, I don't think we'll see the crowds on, on Black Friday that we have in the past. But what we are seeing is, is a way of sort of social distancing through time by having these sales spread out earlier. And I expect that many of those Black Friday prices will continue uh, on into December. So firms are trying to, to sort of make up those sales over time as opposed to crunching them all into that one day or into that weekend. 
of course, uh, Amazon had their Prime Day sh uh, just a short time ago, and that was in, in a way of kind of jumping ahead of the Black Friday sales. Do you, you had mentioned about them trying to space those sales out. Is that also designed in a way to uh, be able to handle distribution a little bit better and manage their inventory? Yeah, yeah, I think so, and also delivery. I think one of the real the uh, real challenges this year is going to be folks who are not going to get together in person for the holidays, but want to make sure gifts get to where they're going. So, and, and especially if they're they're shopping uh, online. Uh, so, I think making sure that the the gifts that people are buying get to where they need to go in time for the holidays is going to be really crucial. So, I think spreading that out over time is 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 one way to to, to handle that. If you can give people the prices, uh, good the good Black Friday prices earlier, they might order some things earlier. That'll smooth out some of that the supply chain stuff. But also the delivery as well, and and I would wouldn't be surprised to see firms uh, either offering some kind of deal if you order early, or some kind of uh, additional shipping charge uh, or something like that if you order too close to to the holidays. We'll we'll see how that works out, but but certainly they want to avoid the congestion that 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 might well happen as more and more people shop online this year and have things shipped. Um, one of the things we always think about with Christmas retailing is the 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 mall. At least from the past yeah. 30 years, the mall has been the place where you do most of your Christmas shopping. Of course, that's going to be very different. I know personally, although I've been to a lot of retail stores, I haven't actually stepped foot in a mall since last March. Um, what's the future of the mall, and is there any way that they can make a comeback? Yeah, I think I think uh, this is one of those examples of a trend that's been already there that has been accelerated by the pandemic. Uh, malls, I think, were in some trouble already. Again, e-commerce being part of that, but also the degree to which you know the places like Target and Walmart were already offering the beginnings of curbside delivery and and, and home delivery, these sorts of things. Uh, and as people have gotten more comfortable shopping online, the mall is a is a is a challenge, right? And I think uh, you know part of what was great about malls for so long was that they were a social experience too that you went you hung out you, you know you could you could eat you could do those other things all of which now are are as you say problematic and not surprising that 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 we would see malls uh, Malls in decline. Can they save themselves? That's a good question. I suspect that in the long run, the ones that are going to survive are going to be the higher end ones, uh, where where uh, personal service and all that sort of thing becomes kind of stores where personal service becomes really really important. Uh, I, I think uh, maybe you'll you know we'll see the lower end malls probably not make it or survive as as something like strip malls. Uh, so so again, I think the higher end malls have a better shot at making it, but but the shopping mall is is probably on its way out uh, as as a kind of cultural landmark in the way it probably was for for certainly for you and I growing up. What are you seeing as far as retailers' inventories? Will they have enough stock to get through the holiday season? I I think that uh, they've had an enough time anyway to think about how to handle the logistics here uh no one did anyone know in march or april that we'd you know still be in the same world come october november i think there's enough people who thought maybe so to to make sure uh that 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 was the case and we do seem to have gotten by many though not all of the supply chain bottlenecks that that were you know toilet paper doesn't seem to be the problem it was uh, back a few months ago so I, I don't anticipate that that inventory is going to be a, a big problem here as I said I'm I'm sort of more concerned that that uh, that the, the demands on delivery mechanisms and processes uh, uh, will be the things that that could be problematic. Yeah, are you advising people to shop early this season? 
just in case as a well, way of well i i you know it can't hurt right if you can if you can do it early and get things shipped and uh uh you know we have a we have a bunch of stuff for for our kids already uh, i think it's probably not a bad idea but but at the same time I, again I, it depends on on what you're doing right if you're just having it you know shipped to the house and you can you can be patient maybe not but if you're trying to ship to people all over the world to get them gifts uh, perhaps uh, acting acting sooner is 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 better i suspect you won't see I suspect you won't see too much of a price difference uh, uh, between now and 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 after Thanksgiving. I suspect that many of these sales will continue. Again, a lot of places have have seen not so much Amazon maybe, but other places have seen their businesses, uh, you know, challenged over the last few months, and they'll they'll be wanting to to capture the holiday season if they can. Sure. A new survey just came out today, in fact, that 42% of businesses expect that their supply chains will be the biggest challenges of the holiday season. Mm -hmm. Do you see steps that companies are taking to help mitigate some of that risk? Uh I don't know if there's anything in particular uh, other than that, you know, there, I mean, the nature of a supply chain to some extent is they're dependent upon people upstream. Uh, I, I think if if I were, uh, you know, in charge of, of those decisions in, in a major firm, I would be contingency planning all over the place, right? What, if our normal routes don't work, what what are our other options and, and how can we be as flexible as possible uh, in the face of what, uh, of the sort of enormous uncertainty both about how much people are going to spend and what what they're going to want to spend on and how they're going to want it delivered to them so so i think this is more so than ever before having some flexibility and having um, multiple uh potential supply chains uh in place i think uh or multiple you know sorts of supply in place is going to be the key other than spreading out their orders over time do you see any retailers taking any innovative approaches to their e-commerce sales and the large increases they're expecting this year? I, I haven't, nothing that I can think of off the top of my head that's been, per, you know, been particularly innovative. I, I think one of the things we are seeing more of is the spread of curbside delivery. And I think that's going to outlive the pandemic, by the way. I think that's a that's a permanent change in how a lot of firms are going to do business, especially restaurants. Uh, so that that is, a, you know, I don't think of that as a major innovation right now. We've had it before, but it's certainly one that's spreading quickly as 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 uh, as retailers want to provide the, the you know the convenience of that without without having to worry about people coming in the store so whatever i think whatever firms can do to keep foot traffic manageable the last thing again they want is to be a source of a super spreading event and they also don't want to see people lined up to, to get in the store any more than necessary right especially if they're lining up because of capacity constraints and so on so and again I, we should note too that a lot of this may vary by location uh, some parts of the country are in better shape than others. Uh, some have different have different uh, regulations, COVID-related regulations, and others. So, so you know, local experience I think for 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 uh, buyers is going to vary. We've been talking with Stephen Horowitz, an economics professor from Ball State University. Thank you, Steve, for being with us today. My pleasure, sir. Thank you for having me. Now let's take a look at some of the other supply chain news from the week. Victoria, you reported on newly released data concerning warehouse utilization rates. And it looks like it's returning to pre-pandemic levels. Yes, Dave, that's right. It certainly is. Uh, demand for warehouse space continues to grow, as we've seen from some reports this week. And some is industry watchers are actually saying there could be a critical shortage of space early in 2021. Um, what I saw this week echoes what we've been seeing the last few months by covering the Logistics Managers Index report, which is a report that gauges economic activity in this industry. And it's shown um, that 
space is tight um, if you're looking for it, um, but if you're providing space, it's good news. If you're 3PL or someone like that, you're very busy. So this week I attended the Home Delivery World event, which is a retail logistics event that offers educational programming on a wide range of topics. Um, and I sat in on one of the real estate track events hosted by um, logistics real estate firm Prologis, and they talked about some findings um, that they, they discovered by surveying their um, customer base in the U.S. Uh, about uh, activity in the third quarter. So among the key points, um, as we've seen, accelerating e-commerce and rising inventory levels are really creating strong demand and increased competition for warehouse space. They found vacancy rates remained really low, 5% in the third quarter, and um, utilization was back to pre-pandemic levels, as you noted. They said their customer base says it's about 85%, which they say is pretty much near full capacity. This followed a, a really volatile second quarter, of course, so the, the rebound is coming from a low point, but nonetheless, it's growth, and they say um, they're, expected, they're expecting to see sustained rebound in terms of warehouse demand. And as I said at the outset, they also caused, cautioned that companies looking for space could face very limited options in the new year, and that's because of a general contraction in the development pipeline. Yeah, did they say whether or not any new construction would help to offset some of those future needs? Yeah, so uh, they, as I said, they mentioned a slowdown in new construction sort of at the height of the pandemic, especially when it comes to speculative construction. And that's, you know, when a, when a developer builds a warehouse to spec, it's, uh, there's not a, a client they're building it for, it's for prospective uh, uh, customers. So many of those projects were halted at the height of the pandemic, or um, a lot of them, they're now underway but um, development is still um, still pretty slow. Um, and they say that that will cause uh, you know, available options to really narrow quickly in the new year. So the bottom line, careful planning for logistics is, uh, needs is a must. And they say that investing in space, whether you're building space yourself or securing it now, is really gonna become a competitive advantage in the new year. Yeah, as always, good planning really is the key. Thank you, Victoria. Mm -hmm. You're welcome. And Ben, you reported on a major logistics firm launching a venture capital fund. Can you tell us what's behind it? That's right, Dave. Uh, just as Victoria was talking about, uh, we've also been tracking uh, other types of uh, economic trends in the logistics sector. Um, just a month ago, uh, we, we had heard uh, some speakers in the sessions at the CSCMP EDGE virtual trade show uh, talk about how the pandemic and the economic recession that's associated with it have put the brakes on some of uh, the big investments in the supply chain sector, uh, such as mergers and acquisitions. Uh, but in recent weeks, uh, we've seen that begin to turn around. Um, on Monday, there was a private equity firm uh, that bought Rand McNally, which a lot of people know uh, for making roadmaps. But uh, today, they provide fleet management and asset tracking tools. Uh, and another, uh, earlier this month, private equity firm um, called the Jordan Company sold its majority stake uh, in the 3PL Capstone Logistics to another private equity firm. Uh, so you can see there's some, some early bubbles of activity. Uh, and on Wednesday this week, we saw another sign of life uh, when Rider System, which provides uh, logistics and transportation services, a lot of people know them for their rentals, uh, truck rentals, uh, they started their own uh, venture capital arm. Uh, and they say that they plan to invest $50 million, 5-0, uh, in startups over the next five years. Uh, the company says it plans to focus on startups in the sector. They're tackling uh, disruptions in the supply chain uh, driven by accelerating e-commerce fulfillment demand, asset sharing, next generation vehicles, automation, and data analytics. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what they do with the money. 
Are there any other examples of logistics companies starting venture capital divisions so that they can invest in their own sector? Great question, and, and the answer is yes. Uh, so Ryder is not unique here. Um, and again, we haven't seen a whole lot of action in that area in recent months uh, because of the coronavirus challenges. Uh, but over uh, the last uh, just year or so, looking a little bit uh, farther back, uh, some examples are Zebra Technologies. Uh, of course, they make uh, handheld scanners and things. Um, Maersk Line, um, the, the container shipping line, and UPS, uh, that's a big carrier. Uh, so for some examples of what they have invested in, uh, UPS Ventures bought a minority stake in a self-driving truck technology startup, um, also a blockchain-based e-commerce startup. Uh, Zebra Technologies had provided funding for uh, an autonomous mobile robot vendor uh, called Locus Robotics. Uh, also, Plus One Robotics, which makes um, a, a picking arm uh, for, for picking up beaches. Uh, and Maersk Growth uh, had invested in a digital freight matching startup. Uh, so, you know, a, a lot of those areas are, uh, are some of the real hot button issues in, in the sector now. And you can see uh, that, that some of the venture arms of these major log logistics companies uh, are, are participating in the growth of some of those. So uh, it, it's been really interesting to watch because th th those companies are not necessarily doing takeovers or combining those operations with their own platforms, but they do see a lot, enough growth there that it makes sense to uh, in, invest in them as, a, uh, as an economic venture uh, and, and try to make some profits off it. Yeah, definitely will be interesting to see if that's a trend moving forward. Thank you, Ben. For sure. We encourage our listeners to go to dcvelocity.com for more on these and other supply chain stories. Go there to check it all out. Thank you, Ben and Victoria, for sharing highlights of the news this week. It's always fun. Thanks, Dave. Yes, you're welcome. And again, our thanks to Steve Horowitz of Ball State University for being with us today. We encourage your feedback on this topic and our other stories. You can email us at podcast at dcvelocity.com. We also have a special free offer for our listeners you can get a complimentary copy of this year's State of the Retail Supply Chain Report. This annual review of retail supply chains is the result of a research collaboration between Auburn University's Center for Supply Chain Innovation, the Retail Industry Leaders Association, better known as RELA, and DC Velocity. This ninth installment of the study covers highly relevant topics that impact success or failure in the hyperspeed omnichannel retail environment and its pandemic-fed acceleration. You can download your free copy today by going to dcvelocity.com slash retail. Again, that's dcvelocity.com slash retail. We also encourage you to subscribe to Logistics Matters on Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, and Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcast. Just search for Logistics Matters to find us. Our new episodes are uploaded each Friday. We'll be back again next week with another edition of Logistics Matters, when we will look at what worries the trucking industry most. Be sure to join us. Until then, please stay safe and have a great week. <music>